if you went to a hospital and you said, hey, I've got a better scalpel for you. And they're like, are you a doctor? Like, no. <laughs> Great. Like, how would you know? You have to have some credibility to even talk to them about their bigger right. problems, but also to really understand them. The easy problems that are actually great businesses are the ones that are hard to find. Everyone's an insider in something. Like if you're stocking shelves at Home Depot, you're an insider in which products are selling better at Home Depot. It, it is a great discipline to try to understand like how stuff works. When a farmer digs a crop out of the ground, the world is one crop richer. Implicitly what you're saying by starting a startup is I want to make stuff. I, I want to play a non zero-sum game, create wealth, and capture some for myself. You could be the richest person on earth, but you'd have to work 120 hours a week, sleep under the table at the office, have a heart attack every other day. Like, it's just, I don't know. I don't yeah. think I want to do that. Welcome to the Generation Hustle Podcast, the show that explores the world of business, entrepreneurship and culture all centered around the millennial. I'm your co-host Amin alongside my good friend Sheriston. So picture this, you're walking through a mall and you're trying to find your favorite store. You go up to a touchscreen map kiosk and with the click of a few buttons, it tells you exactly how to get to the store along with promotions currently happening. Well, many of the world's largest malls have this technology thanks to Mapped In. On episode 33, we sit down with co-founder and CEO of Mapton, Hongwei Liu. You may also recognize him from the early years of Dragon's Den, having successfully pitched and closed the deal. We explore his journey as a young entrepreneur, the challenges he faced while growing Mapton, how he grew his sales and leadership skills coming from an engineering background, and finally sharing his philosophy on doing things that don't scale. One thing is for sure, we had an absolute blast on this podcast with an amazing entrepreneur. Well, let's get right into it. Again, uh, super, super happy to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a lot of fun, so appreciate you doing it. Yeah, so let's just jump right into this. So um, one of the most common questions we get from our listeners is like, how can someone build a company while in school or, you know, when they've just graduated, right? right. So you know, your experience is that you came out of school uh, or obviously built Mapton during school. And as a young 20-year-old building Mapton, what were some of the kind of first roadblocks um, that you faced on your journey? And like, you've probably heard no so many times being such a young entrepreneur. Sure. Well, I mean, I still get no all the time. Um, <laughs> that's okay. I, I you know, I, I normally just tell people, like, if you're, especially if you're in school, but just in general, start a project, don't start a company. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Mapton started out as a project. We wanted to help fellow students find classes on campus. And we thought that that would be a fun thing to build every, uh, every now and then. You know, I think our first yeah. term, uh, I was in my 1B term. Uh, in school, it was you know first year, still taking in the sights of being on campus. But we decided, you know, me and two friends at the time, every other weekend, let's spend you know a couple hours coding this thing. And then that led to showing it to some people, um, you know, because part of the experience, I guess, is hey, here's my project. What do you think about it? And eventually, right. we met enough people that said that's actually pretty interesting. I and we eventually stumbled upon our first customer. Uh, which ended up being called a Soga Mall in town, and and right. uh, and and we got very lucky that that Sandra Stone, the GM, who's now retired at the time, but basically took a bet on us and said, "Yeah, this, you know, I get it. This makes sense. What's it going to take? 
uh, you know, this is where we were in September then. I want it by Christmas. Can you guys do that? And we just said, yeah. Uh, do you have a contract? No. And she wrote one for us. And, <laughs> you know, we made up the biggest number we could on the spot. So, so at that point, it was a business. Um, right. At that point, we had our first customer. Four months later, we hired our first co-op, um, who was the only person being paid at Mapton at that point. Right. Um, and then it felt kind of like a business, so, you know, it, but it was a gradual ramp for me. And, and during that time, um, it wasn't until we hired our first co-op after that, that, you know, I, I took a full year off school and I, you know, and mm-hmm. I've still technically deferred it since, since then. Um, so, so I think for all of us, um, it was, it was very gradual, right? There was, there was never a big leap. Um, and, and I think if you're not in a rush, why not do it that way? Uh, cause right. Because then you don't have to deal with your friends and family saying, "Oh man, look at you! You're you're going to be an entrepreneur too, huh? Like, when are you going to be buying me lunch? Can't right, wait! Right. Um, it, it's just way too much. It's it's too much stuff that comes with that now, especially because it's so cool now. Um, and I think it's far more genuine to say, yeah. "I'm interested in this product. I'm interested in this problem. I would like to spend some of my like treat it as a hobby, and then be open to the possibility that it'll turn into something bigger. And then obviously." you know, lean in as hard as you can once you, once that door opens. Right. No, that's such an awesome way to put it. Cause you know, um, at Loria, we, we did tons of projects when it comes to business related cases, but, uh, in terms of promoting entrepreneurship, I don't think a lot of us during school are actually taught, Hey, if you actually conceptualize a project and you think it has value later on, go ahead and build it. Um, a lot of my professors never taught me that. And I think you took the risk on in terms of, you know, Hey, there might be an opportunity here and let's go for it. And that's unique in and of itself. Well, I think school is, especially university is actually not the place to learn that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I like, I, I love Waterloo for being so flexible. I think that was the best part about it. It was flexible enough that I could just walk away from it for a term and they didn't ask any questions and come back whenever we want. And, you know, the reality is like, it was easier to get into engineering when I did. If I go, went back now, I'd be steamrolled by like the, the, the quality of the candidates in, in my program now. Uh, but the school was so flexible to it. Right. I don't think someone who, who decided to go through the rigor of a PhD program to then become a professor is the right person to teach about how to start a lemonade stand, which is essentially what we're doing. Like it's, it's backwards, yeah. right? The, the reality is the best teacher on that stuff. And the best thing school can do is make it easy for you to give it a try which is what Waterloo did for me. So we know you have an engineering background, like you just mentioned. Um, but when you're building a business, you obviously have to learn how to sell and interact with, you know, relevant stakeholders. So how did you uh, go about uh, learning this? And what was your pr- approach in terms of gaining those business skill sets um, that allow you to help uh, build Mapton? Yeah, so I mean, one meeting at a time, right? One no at a time. Uh, of the original group, I was the least bad at talking to people. So I was made CEO and I was made to talk to people full-time. Um, and full-time back then meant something very different, right? Full-time back then, like, you know, we would be, oh, like, I would be so excited if I had a meeting that week with a potential customer or investor or someone who even wanted to hear our story. Um, like, these days, I, like, I, you know, I, I have enough to do. I don't. I don't need to find someone to talk to. But back then, it was like it was right. really hard, and and I wasn't very good at it for sure. And I was almost unhealthily obsessed about the way those conversations would play out. 
um, treating it as I think you should any other skill. Like, you know, I would I would drive there and drive back, and on the way back I would play over the conversation twenty times in my head. Uh, what could nice. I have said better? That worked. That didn't. Why did I say that, you idiot? You know, and cool. At this point, you shut up. Um, and then and then you read some books that validate your experiences uh, and, and blogs and so on. Like, you know, the the worst thing you can do as a salesperson is to keep talking after the deal is done. Um, right. That that's a common mistake. Um, but over time, you, you know, you I I think I found my own style. Like, I don't do that anymore for most conversations. I I do think I'm pretty genuine now. Um, it would have felt, mm -hmm. I'm sure, to me then and to anyone now, not so genuine to engineer a conversation so much, but that's how I approached it. It worked for me. Um, and, and now I'm not, you know, now I can do it all day and it, it doesn't stress me out that much. It anymore. feels, it feels normal to you now, just through the years of experience, right? For sure. Like anything else, yeah. it's just practice. Right. I just want to, yeah, yeah. I just want to cut in there. Um, I mean, before you take the next question, uh, you mentioned something there. So you, you, you need to stop talking once the sale is done. Can you explain that a little bit? <laughs> yeah. So, um, oh man, all the time, right? Like let's, let's say you're trying to convince somebody, um, to buy a wallet that you came up with the concept of it. As soon as they say, they say, yes, like, great. Everything you've set up to that point, use it again. But then if you say, Hey, thanks so much, man, I really appreciate it. Now I got to go order the leather. They're going to be like, Oh crap. You haven't ordered the leather, you know, like, <laughs> Oh my God. Like, is this wallet even real? Once you have the sale, stop, and then just go build it, go deliver. Um, and and I think being, um, you know, it's easier said than done, of course. Like you're really nervous mm -hmm. in that situation. Uh, it's it's just one of the many mechanics that you kind of drill into yourself. Right. Yeah. For sure. I, I like that, especially us working on the podcast as well. We've learned a lot on when to talk and when to shut up and just let people run with what, <laughs> what they're saying too. And it ruins it. Like sometimes it ruins the flow of their conversation and things too. So I, I love that point. Yeah, we, we, we've tried to practice. I mean, we've done this like 35 times now. Um, and trust me, like the first time we did it to now, it's like a huge difference. It's just like to your point, it takes practice in terms of learning um, and perfecting the art in terms of what you're doing. Right. So, sure. um, you know, in terms of like, um, the entrepreneurial route, I think a lot has been conveyed in like, say social media nowadays that it is the cool thing to do. Right. And so what is your kind of thought, um, on, you know, the environment that we live in today? Um, and do you believe like entrepreneurship is for everyone? That's the first question. Um, but like, what do you feel like is like the true reality of what um, building a business actually means? Um, like in your case, you built it up from um, while your time at Waterloo. But, you know, a lot of kids are just thinking like, hey, I can entrepreneurship's easy and it's cool. So let's just do it. Um, well, I mean, it is it is cool for sure. And, and I think one of the best things about our society is that anyone can just choose to do it, right? Like no one's going to stop you from trying. Um, and, and because it's so cool and because it's so accessible at this point, I'm not going to cheerlead that anymore. Like I don't, I don't think the world needs one more person saying everyone should start a business. Um, I think everyone should at least like work at a startup if you're not going to start a business. Because um, mm -hmm. that's probably the closest thing you get to being in a situation where what you do is mission critical and you see the strategy because 
because the whole pie, like because because you can literally see all four walls of the company uh, from your desk, and and it's it's all in everyone's head. The strategy doesn't really. It's like one piece of paper, right? And right. and normally when you go and you work for a big company, and some of them are fantastically successful. Like Apple is famous for not telling their employees anything. <laughs> like you know, your job is to do this and do that, and you don't know what that's for. And and right. you know, and half the time, like you know, like half the time when we engage with a big company, we're engaging with multiple teams, and I'm telling each team what the other teams are doing. Um, that's just how big companies work because it's more efficient that way. Um, it's more right. efficient for the company, but it actually doesn't allow the person to learn as much. Whereas, like, I really think that you know, one of the best things that Matt did offers um, our employees, and I say this to every batch of co-ops, is you know, you can ask me anything. <laughs> You can't ask me about HR stuff, but otherwise, I'll talk to you all day. I, I would love yeah. for you to understand everything that it is that we're doing and why, because I think that'll make you more motivated and make you more able to help us on our mission. And I would have loved to do that when I was a co-op at BlackBerry. Jim Balsillia was two floors mm-hmm. above me. I couldn't talk to him then. Right. Um, yeah. Right. And he wasn't going to explain to me all the strategy that went into how he got his deals done with Rogers and so on. But mapped in and you know i'm not that special i I, i've got a lot of time to to chat with people who work here so um and and i think the same goes from what i can tell from my friends who've gone and worked for like you know the unicorn companies in the valley like they 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 have the confidence of that experience but they also have the experience itself which is i was mission critical there there was no backup for me i did it i took it from here to here and that's that looks good on a resume. It builds confidence. It builds real skills, and then you can cash that in at the big company later on. You don't have to start For your sure. own company if your goal is that CV. And mm-hmm. I, I will just say, I think a lot of people are starting companies or dabbling in it for the purpose of their CV. Um, so I'll just point out that you can actually make more money and get paid to do that by working for a good <laughs> startup. And maybe that's yeah. something that they should consider. No, that's awesome advice. And, you know, just on that topic there, if I do like, say, for example, somebody does join a startup, what is the best advice you can give them in terms of making an impact and making sure that they are prioritizing mission critical in terms of areas that are benefiting the future trajectory of your company? Right. Oh, that's that's a tough one, right? Because, I, I mean, with everything, there's a downside. I, I, yeah. I hope that mapped in has been a good experience for everyone. Um, I'm sure there's been one or two cases where we let someone down or they didn't have the right experience that they thought they wanted. And you're taking a bigger risk in general signing up for a startup than you would for a big company, right? Like um, mm-hmm. working for a big company, even if it's a boring one, it kind of like there's, there's like a minimum level of value it adds to you both in paycheck and credibility. Um, for, for a startup, you really do need a story. Uh, you need a story coming out of it that says, this is what we were doing. And you pitch it like the founder pitches it. And this is what I did. And here's all the things I got to do and all the things I got to learn. And you got to think to yourself as part of the interview and as part of your months, like how, what's that story going to be for me as part of this? Mm-hmm. What did I learn? And, and that's, the, that's the opportunity. You're trading off security for that. So definitely make use of it. And what would be, say, like the best piece of advice you have received or given while building Mapton? Um best advice I got or the best advice I actually took because <laughs> they're very different <laughs> you know um, like Paul Graham who's like startup Jesus in my mind he writes all day like he writes the best stuff on this and most people just paraphrase him going forward 
but right. but he once jokes that his job at YC was to just tell founders every day the two things that they need to do and then be ignored every day and help them deal with the problems that arise as a result. So, I mean, the two things you got to do every day is just build your product and get customers. That's it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and yet what everyone ends up doing, myself included, is go to pitch events and talk to the lawyer that wants to talk to you to take your money to incorporate your business and get an accountant because that's what you're supposed to do and like have hoodies and, you know, um, <laughs> and like buy the right type of like everything else um, because those things feel like you're building something and they're small and they're incremental. And the big scary things are, can you build this, this audacious product if that's what's hard or can you sell it right. if that's what's hard? And, and uh, it's really hard to just stay in that trench all day, but that's the best thing you can do. So I think the best advice I probably got early on was, you know, just like basically stay, like keep your burn low as low as you can, only, only spend what you must, mm -hmm. just get customers. And then of course right. I didn't really just do that. Um, it took a while to learn the hard way. And I think uh, Mapton's been a very, very great education and a very expensive one also. Yeah, in, in right. I, I, um, can you tell us about that story where, um, I, I think I was listening to this on, uh, I think you did something for UW where you guys went to a motel, uh, I think it was either in Vegas or something, um, and you the you had to kind of per, it was like thirty dollars a night uh, or yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah. That, that was before we got our first check. We, we were we were following that advice before we got our first investment, and we follow it now. It was just it was a period in between where we were dummies. Um, so before we had any money, um, we were invited by what would become our eventual eventual first investor to go down to the San Diego trade show. The to go down right, to San, San Diego, Diego. Yeah. for a very large uh, geomatics trade show, like mapping trade show that they ran. Um, so, so we found, uh, you know, using like whatever booking website, like a triple layover flight to get from Toronto to San Diego. And then we Airbnb a boat in the Marina for $30 a night that slept as many people as you wanted to sleep, but it really only slept one. Um, we had three people in there. Uh, it didn't have any running water, the Mar but, but because it was in the Marina, you could walk to the Marina, like locker room and use the shower and restroom. There. Right. Um, and we slept there for, and we got up every day at six, put in our suit, got out of this shitty ass boat, surrounded by like yachts. And like three Asian guys walked down the heart, like literally down the beach to the convention center, uh, put in our time and then walked back. And that was our, that was our first trade show. And so I, yeah. I actually still show that to our salespeople because up until COVID, they were the ones who were now flying around the world, you know, no layovers in coach, with holiday right. ends waiting for them. And that's pretty darn good. Uh, and I, I remind them that our, our quality of life is improving. Back to basics, right? Understanding the fundamentals, even where you mentioned like, you know, a lot of people just, you start ordering hoodies and you think you're doing the right things as a business, but it's like, just focus on your fundamentals. So I, I love that a lot. For sure. And it's easier. It's obviously easier said than done. It's also easier when you're like, you're, a high, you're like a university student anyway, like Ramen's, right. Ramen is what all your friends are reading. Um, it's a right. lot harder, I think, if you wanted to do this, like, you know, after you've worked for a while, after you have a partner who expects like a date every week or something like that, it's just much harder, right? So, um, yeah, so, th so that's why I think, you know, it, schools probably is a great time to be thinking about this sort of thing. Yeah, 
hundred percent. My my uh, meal of choice is mac and cheese, not ramen. But nice. yeah, I, I feel you there. Um, <laughs> but so I want to go back to, to to the product itself with Mapton. So one thing that you mentioned at the beginning of this was um, you should start with a project and kind of it, it will lead to a business if it works out. So can you tell us about how you kind of came up with the idea itself? Like I know you wanted to work on a project, but how was how the idea of like mapping system actually work? How did you come up with that? Um, before I answer that, I'll just caveat what I said earlier, which is that's if you're a first-time founder, start a, start right. a project. Mm-hmm. Like if, you, if you've done this before, like you don't need to learn it from me. You can be far more intentional. Um, so I, I think how, how we first came across uh, mapping as an idea, like it, it was just, you know, let's, let's help people find stuff indoors. Why doesn't that exist? It wasn't right. until three years later that in, in doing that, that we, we stumbled upon what ultimately became our real product idea. Uh, which was how do we keep indoor maps up to date, right? So in the beginning, our first three paying customers were Conestoga Mall, the University of Waterloo, and Casino Rama up in Morelia, Ontario. Oh, okay. And okay. completely different venues, as we call them. Um, right. For for the mall, we built a touchscreen directory. For the school, we built an app. For Rama, we built a web plus a directory thing, and they all looked completely different. But the and and and. That's not a business, it, you know. To point that out there, we were essentially consulting. Um, but the underlying thing that we kept doing over and over was taking this PDF that the customer would send us, representing their floor plan with a bunch of scribbles on it, and turning that into something pretty enough that you could show to a an end user. Um, and mm-hmm. we were just constantly right. photoshopping maps. Um, and and you know, being engineer is one of the first things we did. And actually, my only code contribution was was in writing a map editor that would be easier than using Photoshop, basically. Um, and and then once you unpack that and you start asking them, hey, why do you always send us these PDF things with scribbles on it? They Then you realize, actually, the entire property management industry has this problem where once the building is built, the architects go away. The architects are the right. only people who knew how to edit CAD files. From there, you just have like facility managers, floor managers, marketing managers, printing out CAD files and scribbling on them. And that's status quo forever. Um, right. and, and then they incur these small drips of agency fees, design agency fees for someone like us who's updating their website or creating a new directory to turn the latest set of scribbles into something digital that can be presented. So, so that, and, and that became, that is now today our, our core product is we, we built a word processor for maps that anyone can use that, nice. um, okay. and that keeps one source of truth. Um, and you, we never would have discovered that being, you know, students at the University of Waterloo, if we hadn't worked with these property managers is what they had in common. They all manage buildings. Um, and that was by accident. It, it was somewhat intuitive in that, you know, for me at least, it was for always the most interesting thing that we were doing is building this tool. We spent, right. we got paid way more in the early days to build all these fancy interfaces because everyone wanted right. it in a different color and you'd have to like customize it and charge them more. But for me, we always carved out a fairly large part of our engineering uh, investment on the tools. And and eventually, maybe we got lucky, but enough customers said, hey, those tools are really valuable. And we found new customers that don't even want directories. They just want tools. Um, right. And that has actually led to a lot of our more recent growth. 
That's incredible. Like you kind of just stumbled upon a problem by just uh, mapping out interiors. You know what I mean? Like just finding that problem with all these venues, uh, with architects not just being there and not knowing how to, to, to work with those floor plans and things like that. Yep. So would you say like, how would you say like your mission statement at Mapkin has changed over time or has it at all? Um, well, it used to be, it used to be Google Maps with the indoors, which couldn't have really been a mission statement. Um, but, but now it's one map everywhere, um, which okay. is more subtle, right? Uh, like before it was about the, the, the end user experience. Now it's about how do we just make this data exist, right? Because right, right now there is right. no digital copy of every physical building. There just isn't. There's, there's like billions of sheets of paper in the world that are all kind right. of out of date. Um, and, and that's become our, our driving mission statement and it you know, informs our product strategy. Um, and, and we got there by first embedding ourselves in the real estate industry, doing something else that they wanted that was less scalable to discover mm -hmm. this problem that they also want that is far more scalable. And um, I, I think that's a, you know, I would recommend anyone do it that way, frankly, because if you went to a hospital and you said, hey, I've got a better scalpel for you, and they're like, are you a doctor? Like, no. <laughs> Great. Like, how would you know? Right. You have to be in their shoes. You have to you have to have some credibility to even talk to them about their bigger right. problems, but also to really understand them. Um, from the outside, you might think the problem with hospitals is that they just don't have enough nurses in the ER room and it backs up. But really, maybe it's somewhere else. Right. And you just don't know. Right. Um, and, and how would you know unless you're in there? I think there are so many like really easy problems, like just obvious problems, but not obvious to someone sitting here pontificating because then that would have been like those those have all been found. Right. The, the easy problems that are actually great businesses. Um, are the ones that are hard to find at this point. Um, and, and to do that, you have to like immerse yourself in something and that, mm -hmm. that also is useful. That's something that Amin and I talk about all the time and just in terms of, because we're always thinking of, of different business ideas or anything like that. And it's always like, tr let's try and find a problem that we can solve. But to that point, um, you touched it there, right? All the easy ones have been solved already. So you won't know until you get your feet wet and figure out something that just comes up randomly or along the way. Yeah, and I and I remember I think it was Ashton Kutcher who first said this, but everyone is an everyone's an insider in something. Like if you're stocking shelves at Home Depot, you're an insider in which products are selling better at Home Depot. Right. Before the results yeah. come out, right? You know that. Good and, point. And you're an insider on just the problem of stocking and pickback, which it turns out is a pretty big problem for Home Depot. Like everyone right. knows this stuff. You just take it for granted. Um and you know, I mean, and that's where you have to look and like Kind of weird places because i'm sure if you just asked a average collection of college students like what are you an expert in it'd be like well you're we're all an expert in instagram and video games right but like <laughs> that's 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 like a pretty well farmed area of, of land so we, right. we almost have to force our interests to go elsewhere for a while with mapped in specifically obviously you mentioned this as well like you have multiple and very varying uh, venues that you work with like you mentioned the hospitals malls and, and schools or anything like that so um, with the current situation of the pandemic, how has that impacted the business um, given, you know, foot traffic in, in actual uh, real estate areas and things like that? Yeah, so the, the retail business has been hit hard. Uh, there's no doubt. I mean, we're riding that wave. We're, we're riding it out with our clients. We've, we're super grateful to all of our shopping center customers because we haven't lost one yet since mm -hmm. the start of the pandemic. Their doors are open. Our maps are working. That's, that's basically the strategy. And, and of course, this will end. Um, silver lining for us, some some silver lining at least, is that we've we've been global. We've been like the world's smallest global company for a while in that we've had customers in the Philippines and in Australia, 
in, in Dubai long before, you know, the pandemic started. So for us, it right. was just, you know, well, these, you know, these North America's closed. They're, they're, they're not talking about more growth. Great. Let's spend our time talking Australia where this year we hope to get from 10 to 50% coverage of their, uh, of their tier one shopping centers. Same with Japan, same with the Philippines. Like there's, there's always something else to be worked on. And, um, and we're, we're quite busy doing that. Um, we've also found uh, another part of, actually, I would say the more strategic part of Mapped In, because the, the mall business, we're already the largest mapping provider for malls in the world by far. Um, so, right. so we're really good at that. And it's important that we continue to grow that. But it actually doesn't take a lot of my time to be like, hey, let's just keep doing that. Like, we have a great team. They know what to do. So I've spent most of my time over the past two years thinking about how do we make our tools that are useful for mall companies useful for everyone else too. And so mm-hmm. last year we signed up three pretty big wins and then a lot of small ones. But the three big ones, um, we got Major League Baseball to use our tools to mm-hmm. have maps for all their players and fans. Um, we got the Department of Homeland Security, the U.S. one, uh, to use yeah. our tools for public safety. Um, so that when a firefighter or a police officer shows up at a school, they have some idea of what's inside. Um, right. And and we got uh, well, it's this last one which is, was just announced. We got ServiceNow, which is a really large public uh, IT company, um, IT services company, to to use us uh, to make mapped in the de facto uh, mapping integration for all of their customers, which is like everybody as we as we're finding out. So we've been really busy. <laughs> these past couple of weeks just uh, working on a lot of those new initiatives while doing our best to support our customers that are are going to get through this for sure. Um, right. You know, there's going to be fewer shopping centers at the end of this, I think. Um, the ones that will change into condos will be the strip malls, not the Sherway Gardens or the Eden Centers. And Mapton was only ever going to work with the Sherway Gardens and Eden Centers right. anyway. Um, right. So... I wish I wish COVID wasn't here. I'm sure we all did, but um, you know it's affecting everyone. It's affecting us. We'll be okay. So basically, what you described to me there was a great sense of leadership, and like that's kind of the next topic I want to talk about. Like you've kind of commanded and thought about strategy. You're forward looking in that sense, right? Because how do we deal with the pandemic and whatnot? So it takes a lot of time to develop that leadership skill, and often you know it's hard to develop it over time. So what were your kind of uh, methods in terms of developing that skill over, say, your earlier years um, as, you know, you were a younger entrepreneur in your early 20s? And how how did your team take to you being like, say, a 20-something-year-old CEO and you might have like senior leadership like in their 30s and stuff like that? Well, it, it helps that I'm almost in my 30s now myself. So um, <laughs> time helps with that. I think it, you know... I mean, I, I don't know if this is too abnormal in my case, but like we, I, our first of our first five hires, three are still with Mapped In, and I, you know, if 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 I wasn't their boss, I I think I'd be really good friends with them. Like these are great people, uh, and I right. I really enjoy working with them, and and it's been fun. Um, and and one of my biggest motivators is each of them needs to like get a house out of this at the very least, right? Like they they they've really put <laughs> yeah. in the time. Um, so, so I think I, I've been very fortunate in some of the early people that were attracted for whatever reason to work with us. Like we weren't, you know, even after Dragon's Den, but certainly before that, we weren't banging our chest saying we're going to take over the world. Like 
Right. We just said, hey, this this there's you know this pretty cool problem we want to work on here. It's related to maps. We have some customers. I'm really excited about it. Um, and here's all the stuff we need help with. Would you like to come work with us? Um, and and the people that we found on that basis turns out to be really good people. Um, and and if, so you know if if my best achievements as a leader are people, my worst mistakes are also that um, are are also people related. It's the thing that you know anything else I can kind of just think about and then go to bed. Uh, this right. this keeps you up. Um, and and I find it's you know. Every mistake you make, you hopefully not you don't do it again. I guess. Right. Um, right. And and uh, I'll quote PG on this one again because he said, "All of our intuitions as a new founder about starting a business are wrong. It's very unintuitive, except for people, because if right. you're like a second year student, you've had 18 years, like well, 16 years, let's say, of like of conscious experience dealing with people, and you have a good sense from your school life, from your social life, from your sporting you know extracurriculars you know who you like working with right you know like and, right. and you're not gonna work with everybody like it's not an, an objective thing it's just i like working with these people i don't like working with these people uh, and um you know obviously work you know you have to like working with them and also be able to get great outcomes so you have to be able to like really win the science fair if, you, if that was your goal right but right. Um, you have a good sense of the people you like to work with and most of my mistakes were working with people that I probably wouldn't have joined a sports team with, um, okay. but felt that they were impressive anyway for some other reason. Right. And and I, you know, because their resume said so, because they're really impressive, because they're better at talking than I was and am. Um, and and you, of course you want to take a shot on that, right? Like we're all optimists. Um, I don't think I'll stop. But in hindsight, right. that's that's mostly where I've gone wrong. Is um, mm -hmm. yeah, it's it's always yeah. on people, and it's normally no, just fair. when you go against your gut on people. Yeah, no, that's fair. I think. And and what are your thoughts on you know like as a, at an early stage company, you're, um, you know, a lot of companies are looking for that home run in terms of oh he's from investment banking he has sure. x amount of years of experience versus say um, another individual who may, may just have a few years of experience in a smaller finance company but you again outweigh the kind of uh, in in i say emotional kind of traits uh, sure. outweigh the other person so how, how do you go about that in terms of making that decision in terms of you know benefiting the company overall well um First, I think we all know that, you know, for, like we don't have the perfect pick of mm -hmm. graduates either, right? So that there already is a selection process happening just in the way you present yourself. Like, this is who we are. This is what we're trying to do. Here's the positions we have. Please apply. And if you do that honestly, you're going to get people who actually want to do what you want them to do and, and be right. on the kind of ride that that you're trying to be on, right? If, if, you, if you present yourself as you know, an overnight success just waiting to happen, you're going to get people who are going to get really frustrated that that hasn't happened yet after six months, right? Right. Um, whereas if you present yourself as, we have this really interesting problem, we're a team of hardworking people, we're, we think we're fun to work with, and we'd love to meet you and talk to you about the work that we're doing. And, 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 and the gratification is in the work itself, the people, and of course you get paid. Well, then, you know, you're setting a different set of expectations. And... And I think that, you know, some of the best people we've hired were before 
Our Dragons thing, thing aired, and some of the worst were after. And I think it, um, you know, read into that what you will. Right, right, right. <laughs> no, that's fair. That that makes a lot of sense. And then one one of the other questions I wanted to ask you. So I found like a lot of times, um, especially obviously Waterloo as a, an example, is um, a lot of engineers turn CEO. Um, and so what about engineering itself has taught you to be a better leader? Is it like some of the organizational skills that, you know, you have to have to be an engineer or other kind of skill sets that maybe set you apart from uh, another individual? Um, I don't think there's anything too special about engineering. Mm -hmm. Like it, it just so happens that right now, one of the most high leverage things you can do in a startup is write software. And so right. having the skill to write software yourself is really valuable when you don't have any money. Um, right. Right. Because like otherwise, you know, if, if you want a top level software engineer, you're paying them or her lots of money, at least yeah, right. $100,000 a year. Yeah. Um, and, and so the sweat equity that you can build as a founder, like that's that's. But if this was 300 years ago, it's who could sail and, and yeah. go to the West, right? Like it, it's a totally different set of skills. So it just so happens that software engineering right now, and to some extent, the other um, uh, disciplines in engineering are these high leverage ways where just skill alone is enough equity to start a business. Because then right. on that basis, you can get someone else to give you real money and hire people to do all the other stuff that you don't can't do right. or don't, don't want to do, right? But that person right. is buying into nothing except the fact that you're going to keep working on this at below For market sure. rates and that you're going yeah. to, you know, commit yourself to doing all this extra work. So, um, so I, I think that's what engineering allows right now generically. I, I, I do would like to think, and I'll to, to, you know, my own major's horn a little bit, that it, it's, it, it is a great discipline to try to understand, like, how stuff works and to have mm -hmm. the confidence to build, right? Like a, a lot of, you know, like when a farmer digs a crop out of the ground, the world is one crop richer. No one got poorer right. for that, right? You might argue right. that on net, the environment suffers a little bit, but you can, like, there's a way to fix that. Um, you know, when a carpenter fixes a desk, the world is one desk richer. No one got poorer. But a lot of the stuff that, you know, the investment banker that you talk about, his skill set yeah. is not about, wealth creation, his skill set is about winning zero-sum games, um, yep. right? Like, I can outsell that guy. He'll lose, I win. And then, you know, like, all of finance is zero-sum. Finance doesn't exist if the world didn't make stuff, if everyone else didn't plant stuff and farm stuff and build stuff. So so I think it helps to have that perspective built in because implicitly what you're saying by starting a startup is I want to make stuff. Like, I, I want to play a non-zero-sum game, create wealth, and capture some for myself. Um, if you want to play a zero-sum game, the most ambitious thing you can do is become a head fund manager um, and, and just go to Wall Street, right? Um, yeah. And so so I, I think that perspective is helpful because then if everyone around you has that same perspective, um, you can kind of sit there for a while and not get sucked away by the cynicism of what people think capitalism is, is but what it right. really could be, um, which is building stuff. And right. um, I, I was, sorry, I was going to say one more thing, which is, you know, like I've noticed though that among the founders I talk to who are ahead of me, yeah. the ones who still want to start another business all say, "My next one is not going to be software." Oh my god! Right? Like I will start yeah, one yeah, that yeah. plants trees. Where like you know, <laughs> locally, like we have Jim Estel who's very, very publicly running a fridge company, Danby, while starting another delivery company, Shipperby, and this guy is 
already way more wealthy than he anyone ever needs to be if they didn't want to work. Right. Um, and he made all this money in tech and in, in RIM and companies before RIM. And yet what he's doing now is traditional manufacturing. So right. I think, you know, <laughs> to me, the grass is just greener. Maybe I think they actually know something that I don't uh, about yeah. the dynamics of it. And, and, you know, if all the smart people are running this way, you kind of want to go that way and see what they left behind. Um, right, right. And I think we'll have a lot more opportunity in biotech and manufacturing. Like that stuff's not going away either. Right. You're a big advocate for doing things that don't scale. Um, and so I feel like you kind of just walked into that territory right now. Can you explain that philosophy and what you mean by that? Because, you know, as, uh, as you know, for us on social media, uh, when we talk to other founders or things like that, or people who want to start a business, they're always like, I need to find something and I need to scale it up and make a million dollars. It's something crazy like right. that, right? So you, you're, that philosophy is almost counterintuitive to everything that we see everywhere, not to say that it's wrong. So I, I want to understand your point on that. Well, um, so maybe maybe it's more like you should settle for things that don't scale if you can't find something that does scale that no one else has done yet. And and right. I suspect that everything that does obviously scale, um, people have done, like it's already been done. Um, right. and, and then, and then you look at like the, the really big wins, like you look at Airbnb, you look at Stripe, what they did is obviously scalable now, but in the early days, like they were renting out their own living room couch on yeah. their own platform and then flying out to New York to help the first listers take better photos of their apartment because they couldn't do, do it by themselves. Um, Stripe was even more crazy. Like the Stripe's basically their value proposition is we make it easy for you to take credit cards online on your website. And yeah. the problem is the banks didn't, and the banks certainly didn't didn't care to work for Stripe with Stripe to make it easy. So Stripe had a person waiting outside the bank branch to run inside based on a web form order on their website, and they ran inside, created an account, ran back outside, typed in the information, and they faked it. Um, and they did that for long enough until it, you know, the bank said, okay, this is actually a good, pretty good source of revenue for us. So like, we'll give you an API, right? We'll we'll, right. we'll give you like an actual way in. Um, right. All those things don't scale. Like mapped in was building custom directory interfaces for shopping centers that differentiate themselves on the smallest of things. So and that definitely didn't seem scalable to even to some of us. But to me, the underlying thing was well, the the, the mapping tools are scalable. Like if we can prove right. it out with this category, we can make it useful for the for the U.S. government one day. I didn't didn't really see that coming but um <laughs> but that's that's a pretty big one um and 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 i think it's okay to do things that don't scale because frankly your other op your other alternative is to work for the man that doesn't really scale either right right so um it's okay to work for yourself on something that doesn't scale as long as you're willing to look for something that does and then react quickly that opportunity. Yeah, I think that's an incredible perspective, especially for young entrepreneurs who are trying to kind of build something of their own and understand how to enter that world. Um, so uh, with that in mind, what would be like your best piece of advice uh, to that world of, of people uh, approaching business and approaching these problems, uh, given all this? Oh, boy. Um, well, so if you distill all of that stuff, which is start a project, do things that don't scale, that probably won't work anyway, and, and make something which is going to be harder than playing a zero-sum game. Like you ultimately get down to like you, you better like this thing that you want to do anyway for some reason. That that is right. to someone else irrational. Um, you know, the, and then and then the you know the 
the cliche way of saying that is do what you love, which I think so many of us discount because we feel like our parents did us a disservice by telling us to do that as a generation. Right. And then so many of us are now, you know, like the, all the jokes about millennials, it's, it's, it's well-intentioned. Um, you, like, you do have to work really hard. And there are most days that you don't, will not love whatever you choose to do. But on balance, you have to like doing this thing that most of your friends really wouldn't do. Um, mm-hmm. if you want to be successful in a, in a, in a strange way, um, cause otherwise you're doing what everyone else does and that's okay. Right. Like that's, that's, uh, my mom still wants me to be a doctor, I'm sure. And, <laughs> and that's, I'm sure that's a great outcome for anyone who, who's, who's doing that. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, take your time, figure out something you really like doing, make sure it's not something that everyone else really likes doing too. Cause then it's not that special. Um, right. and, and then, and then dig into that find out why we're with you i think both of us can attest to that my parents still look at me like hey when are you becoming a doctor or an engineer so don't even worry that i don't think that ever ends for sure (laughs) that's okay that was great i feel like you dropped a lot of uh, interesting information and a lot of uh, advice that is 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 readily available and readily usable for 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 us so uh, this was incredible we typically like to kind of close out our podcast episodes with a little lightning round where we just toss uh, some quick questions at you, and you can just tell us the first thing that comes to mind. Sure. Awesome. Uh, so first off, you know, you have a long day at work, uh, you come home, uh, or maybe you're working from home, uh, and you're already home. How do you like to unwind? I mean, before COVID, I would love to be skiing right now. Since okay. COVID, I play video games with my friends. That's the, nice. the go-to. What, what's, your, what's your go-to game? Well, right have you guys heard about Valheim? It took it's uh, new I on have Steam. not personally no no uh, okay launched like two weeks ago. It's it's uh, it's like Minecraft plus Skyrim, pretty fun. Okay, like okay, you, okay. You build houses with your friends and kill monsters. Nice. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> My brother's a huge gamer, so he probably knows about it. Nice. For sure. Um, so, can you tell us uh, one person that you'd like to have dinner with, dead or alive, if you can choose? Okay, so dead or dead or alive. Um, de- probably my grandfather, uh, who passed away 10 years ago. He's a big part of my, my childhood basically raised me. And I mm-hmm. think he'd get a big kick out of what I'm doing right now. And I think there's a lot of questions I'd like to ask him now that I've thought about them. So. Right. For sure. That's beautiful. We love it. We love it. Um, can you tell us one company that you're looking at that you're really excited about, whether that's tech, finance, whatever, I don't think you're going to pick anyone in finance, but. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, there's, there's some cool stuff happening in finance for sure. Um, one company though. Uh, I mean, because I don't want to take too long. Like I think what SpaceX is doing is the most inspirational right. thing ever. Right. Like, I, you know, who didn't grow up or at least. I grew up wanting to, like, if the Starship Enterprise was taken off tomorrow, I'd be on it. I don't care if I was right. sweeping the floor or changing out plugs in the boiler room, like, I'd be on that ship. And right. I, I think our, our generation misses that sense of exploration because everything's been explored. And yeah. how cool is it that someone can just go and say, fuck it, yeah. I'm going to go yeah. build rockets and go to the moon in yeah. space. What, what are your thoughts on Elon overall? Got to love him right yeah 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 i have investors who don't <laughs> okay because okay. he sets a very bad example for, for for professionalism but hey like if that's what it takes to really move us forward on not one but three things at at the same time like i'm rooting for him big time 
Yeah. Did, did, did you hear his uh, th- uh, recent podcast with Joe Rogan on how he shaped the rocket? Yeah, it's pointier, uh, even though it's worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that, that's a true CEO. Dude, that's so oh, funny. Man. Like, I... Yeah. I, yeah. He, he just does whatever he likes, and it's just going to work, right? So well, well, clearly, that's why he works so hard, because it's for him, yeah. it's actually fun. Like yeah, to anyone yeah. else, like I, I look at his life. I don't know about you guys, but I, I talked about this with some of my friends, and it's like, I don't, you know, you love what he's doing, but would you really want to be doing it? Like, you could be the richest person on earth, but you'd have to work 120 hours a week, sleep under the table at the office, and yeah. just like have a heart attack every other day. Like, it's just, I don't, I don't yeah. think I want to do that. You know, yeah. so um, clearly though, he loves it because he then gets to just. Arbitrarily make rockets less aerodynamic and pointy yeah. as an inside joke, and and stick up the finger at anyone he wants, yeah. like, or I, or buy Dogecoin. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I'm, yeah, I'm rooting I, for him big time. Yeah, I think we all. Are I love it. I mean, he's doing a lot of great things, so I mean, he has to have fun somehow, right? For sure. If it's not fun, why do it? Right. Exactly. Uh, lastly, kind of the maybe controversial question that we have on our podcast is, is food related and it's not ramen or mac and cheese. Do you like pineapple on your pizza? I don't like ham either. So no. Ooh, okay. yes. All I right. think we're, we're on a streak now of like seven <laughs> straight no's. So like I'm, I'm team no, by the way. So <laughs> I'm team yes. We're evening the scale now. So uh, we're going to need some tiebreakers soon, yeah. but. Hey, Hongwei, this is great. Thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast and giving us all this insight. I uh, I feel like you dropped a lot of gems here that uh, a lot of our users can use, ourselves included. I appreciate you guys doing it. It's a lot of fun, especially right now when there's nothing else to do. So hit me yeah. up if you want to chat again. Oh, 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 oh.